Hi, this is uh, Terrence Pfizer, and you're listening to the Royals Roundup. Hello, Royals fans, and welcome back in for another episode of the Royals Roundup podcast. This is episode number seven. Very special guest coming your way a little bit later on, of course, after I finish all the rambling. That is going to be one of the all-time greats, eighth in all-time in Victoria Royal scoring, the name Taryn Pfizer. Of course, I remember him a five-year career here with the Royals, including his last two seasons as the captain of the franchise. He was a part of the pod season. We dive into his whole career in Victoria, the start of his pro career, and much more. So make sure to stay tuned for that coming a little bit later. Before we get started with everything else in between now and then, I want to give another shout out to the three sailing weight. Of course, you hear them once again in the intro and extra, providing some great music. Make sure to head over to their Spotify page. Uh, The music is now officially out. And I think I saw on Instagram they have a live performance coming up at the Victoria Curling Club. If I'm not mistaken, I should be plugging the date. That's something I should do ahead of time. But uh, if not, make sure to check them out on Instagram at the 3 Sailing Weight. And of course, the podcast, once again, presented by our friends at Victoria Now. Make sure to head over to their website, victorianow.com, for all the up-to-date news around the provincial capital here in British Columbia. Of course, you can find all the latest... uh, Royals news, uh, post-game recaps all go on to there as well, uh, so make sure to check out Victoria now for all the latest and greatest in news in Victoria. And thank you to my producer Mike uh, there, passing on the info. The three sailing weight performance is November 11th, on actually on Remembrance Day, believe it or not, which is coming up right around the corner, uh, so make sure to check that out. Of course, we play on the 10th and then the 11th in Seattle, but if you're looking to do something after the game... The three sailing away will be live performing at the Victoria Curling Club. That's kind of all the housekeeping stuff I wanted to get out of the way first. Uh, probably some people wondering how I haven't touched on this yet. The big elephant in the room. Uh, the Royals made a coaching change yesterday. Of course, we we're recording today on Tuesday. So when this comes out, it'll be a couple days late. So I'm going to say yesterday now. But uh, the team parted ways with longtime head coach Dan Price. Uh, and newly appointed head coach James Patrick will be stepping in to fill that role. Uh, obviously, to send some some big shockwaves around the junior hockey scene. Um, you know, we'll start things off by saying you never want to see anyone lose their job in any capacity, any role, any scenario. Uh, and Dan was genuinely one of the nicest human beings I've ever met, and I'm not just saying that. Um, every time post game, whether we won five nothing, lost. 11-2, like earlier in this year, he was always willing to give his time, well-articulated answers, and he was nothing but respectful to myself and every other person that worked in this organization. So um, I just wanted to start off by saying that, that um, it's someone losing their job, and um, I wish Dan nothing but the best in the future. And I know for a fact he will find something else that he will excel excel at as well, but um just wanted to start off by by saying that, and obviously we're losing, not losing. He's nothing's happened this parting ways, but uh, a great human from the organization is leaving. So uh, this is just wanted to start off by saying that, and we'll miss chatting with him. So um, on the other side, of course, uh, an exciting time for the franchise. A very 
well-known hockey name is coming to the Royals franchise. Of course, he was already here. Uh, he was a director of player development, newly, of course, the head coach. But that position, I believe, was announced the end of August, beginning of September. Now he's stepping in and he will be the head coach. Of course, as I mentioned, I'm recording this on Tuesday. But for tonight's game, it will be Morgan Klimchuk behind the bench, uh, taking the duties on that. Your first chance to see James Patrick in person behind the Royals bench will be Friday night in our Canadian Armed Forces Appreciation Night when we take on the Seattle Thunderbirds, that game taking place at 7.05 p.m. at the Save on Foods Memorial Center. Hey everyone, Micah here, the guy behind the camera for the Royals Roundup podcast, the audio video editor. I just wanted to hop on and say that as I was editing this episode that Tony actually sent me about a 20-minute audio file of him interviewing newly acquired head coach James Patrick. So just make sure to stick around to the end of the episode for that. Uh, we did, we've decided just to plug it in right after Tony's interview with Tarrant Pfizer. Um, so just some extra content this week, and I'll send you back to Tony and enjoy the rest of the episode. So that's going to be your first chance to see uh, James Patrick in person. Of course, as I mentioned, he brings the resume with him. He spent the last six seasons before this year with the Winnipeg and Cooney Ice franchise. Uh, the first two years, of course, at Cooney. The prior past four, pardon me, with the Winnipeg Ice. Uh, they're a pretty good hockey team. Uh, for, for people that didn't know, of course, a couple names have came over uh, from Winnipeg, including uh, Associate General Manager Jake Heisinger. We had him on in Episode 1. Tanner McCall, the Royals head scout, had him on, I believe, Episode 5. This, the third member of that trifecta, James Patrick, the newly appointed head coach. During his time in Winnipeg, uh, 166, 49, and 8. That is an astonishing record for anyone keeping track back home. Uh, That's 166 wins, 49 losses, and 8 overtime slash shootout losses. So, uh, yeah, that's a pretty big deal. Um, obviously I know it's, you know, the team of, they had a very solid team there in the development side that goes over a long time. So, um, the name, the resume, very impressive. Of course, he was named the WHL coach of the year in 2021-22. Uh, Winnipeg boasted a 53-10-5 record during that campaign. Uh, obviously winning a WHL coach of the year honor, pretty big deal. Um, outside of that, uh, Winnipeg made it to the conference finals during that 2021-22 season. And then last year, they lost in the WHL championship. Um, just a tremendous name. Of course, he played a decent amount of hockey along the way as well. Uh, for those who may be a little bit older and, and got to see it as well, he played 1,300 NHL games. Uh Unbelievable. And he was well known for his character. Uh, great teammate, great personality. And doesn't really matter who you ask 1300 games in the nhl obviously means you're doing something a great hockey mind and uh i'm personally very excited uh and i and i know the fan base is as well for good reason so uh obviously the big news of the week uh the team parts ways with dan price longtime head coach and newly appointed head coach will be james patrick as i mentioned you can catch him in person on friday night besides that here in Victoria, we're going to check out a couple things. Victoria 8, 7, 0, and 1 to start the season. Definitely playing some better hockey as of late. Most recently, they fell 6-3 to the Wenatchee Wild. That was their first visit to the Town Toyota Center uh, in Wenatchee, Washington the night prior. They took down the Kelowna Rockets 2-1. to So, 
That's actually the game I wanted to talk a little bit more about here. So Victoria has now played Kelowna three times on the season, twice, they're all three, pardon me, uh, in Kelowna. And we talk about track meet hockey games. So the first game of the season, Victoria wins nine to seven. Second game of the year, Kelowna wins six to three. Two high scoring affairs, a lot of goals. If I'm not mistaken, quick math there. Ooh, I don't even know if I want to try my quick math here. I believe that's 25 goals scored over two games. Um, yeah, my math probably not correct on that, but nonetheless, a lot of goals. And then Friday night, a road game. Victoria looking to respond after the shootout loss to the Giants. They closed it out with a two to one victory. Braden Holt phenomenal in that effort. But something that really speaks to me is the the character of this game for that team. Like I mentioned, three games, two polar opposite of each other's, and then to go in an away arena and play the style that they did, keep Kelowna just to one goal, and I should mention the goal that Kelowna got was very late in the third period, that close for Braden Holden putting up uh, his first shutout of the season, Um, but that game for me was a statement in my opinion. You can win games six to three. You can win games nine to seven. Um, but if you can also win those two to one character games where you're grinding it out, the two goal lead it gets talked about all all the time, especially in junior hockey with uh, with lead changes and all that. Unbelievable! I was very pleased watching that game, and I know Royals fans should be as well, of course. Um, but most recently, they lost to Wenatchee. Of course, when this episode comes out. Tonight's game will be over, but Victoria hosting the Red Deer Rebels tonight. Um, It's been 1,365 days since the Red Deer Rebels played at the Save on Foods Memorial Center. Pre-COVID times, uh, I actually did talk about the pod season with Taryn Pfizer. We'll get to that interview very quickly. Um, But by the time this podcast comes out, we'll have results from that one. And then tonight, when you're listening to this Make sure. Come on down to the arena for our CAF Appreciation Night. There's going to be some very cool jerseys, a live auction as well for those jerseys from Game Worn. Uh, looking forward to that as well. As of right now, Victoria sits second place in the BC Division in a playoff spot. 8-7-0-1. They look to improve on that here tonight in Victoria. Busy stretch of hockey as well coming up. As I mentioned, Friday and Saturday, home and home with Seattle. Monday and Tuesday, back here at home against the Kelowna Rockets. Monday afternoon, after a 3 p.m. game, that will be our skate with the players. Make sure to bring the family out for that one. Of course, I believe uh, that will be the stat holiday, uh, if I'm not mistaken, because Remembrance Day this year lays on the Saturday. So make sure to come on down, check that out. And then next Friday, the 17th, Pet Appreciation Night. That kind of gets... Uh, gets us to where we're at right now. Um, really looking forward to share this interview we had with Taryn Pfizer, one of the all-time greats for the Victoria Royals. I'm going to send that over to him now. Hope you enjoy. Royals fans, welcome back in another episode of the Royals Roundup podcast. And I am now pleased to be joined with one of the greats here from the Victoria Royals history, Taryn Pfizer, currently playing with the Belleville Senators. Taryn, thanks for joining me. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so let's just start off talking about the season uh, in Belleville right now in the AHL, of course. Uh, got an invite to camp there, and it went really well. You produced well throughout the training camp there and eight games in for yourself so far. Walk me through how has the first little stretch been there uh, for yourself? Yeah, obviously the rookie tournament went went just as planned, and 
was lucky enough to earn myself a contract and uh, be here at the start of the year in Belleville. And we're off to a good start with our team here. So I'm just happy to be here. And just what what's the experience been like for you, obviously, being in Belleville and having an opportunity to live in a new city, experience new things? Obviously, the hockey is the most important part, but what's it like living there? And, and how has that transition been for yourself? Transition's been pretty smooth. Obviously, I was living in the hotel for a bit and it was hotel living. You know, it's not not the most glamorous thing in the world. But then I, I was lucky enough to move in with two of my teammates here. And it's uh, it's been great ever since I moved in here. And the city's awesome. The fans are awesome. The rink is unbelievable. So it's just it's it's great living here. I was actually just going to touch on the rink there. It's a pretty infamous rink across the AHL. So what has that been like getting to play there and obviously having the great crowds you guys get? It's great. The crowds have been amazing for the for the home stretches that we're we're at uh, we're at home. Uh, obviously, we got three big games coming tomorrow and then this weekend. So. I'm excited for those games and yeah, the rink is, the rink is great. We, uh, the facilities we have for our team is unbelievable. I would say they're pretty top notch amongst any of the American league teams. Oh, that's awesome to hear. Uh, we'll, we'll kind of just go back to the start now. I wanted to touch on, on the current stuff, but, um, just going back, obviously from Chestermere, we've had quite a few guys from the Alberta area. You're not an exception on that. So what was it like growing up in Chestermere and, uh, what is it like? Do you have any of those Alberta characteristics that you carry along with you? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Alberta was great. We had a, Chestermere was awesome. We had a good group of guys growing up and playing hockey. We all were on the same teams every year together. And obviously once you get older and older, the, the amount of guys that, come with you is less and less and I was lucky enough to have three or four guys that I played with till midget and then obviously going with the Royals I didn't really have anyone with me that I've played with before but but I still I still train with all those guys and it's we got a great setup in Chestermere now even in the summer so it's Chestermere is awesome and yeah it's it's great growing up in Chestermere Alberta is awesome and yeah the Flames, we get to go to a couple Flames yeah. games here and there. So it's it's a great, great hockey town and a great place to like, great place to grow up. I was going to ask that. Obviously, the Alberta connection there, and there's the two big teams there, but closer to Calgary. Did you grow up a Flames fan? I actually didn't grow up a Flames fan, but I would say I'm more of a Flames fan now than I was a, as a kid. Obviously, as a kid, I was I was more a fan of the players. Like Claude right. Giroux was my favorite player growing up. So so by by him being my favorite player, I uh, I grew up being a Flyers fan. Actually, living living oh, just wow. outside of Calgary, so yeah. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, Claude Drew definitely uh, one of the greats growing up. Was it? Was there anything particular about his game that you you saw that you wanted to model after? Or was it just his overall style or anything in particular that you grasped and and just got onto there and, and cheering on him on? I think it was the one year in the playoffs where they played Pittsburgh in the first round, and he was. He was making a difference every every time he was out on the ice. He was up against the best players in the world, like Sidney Crosby, and he was he was holding his own, and he was actually doing better than Sid in that series. So, just watching him as a as a not a big guy like me, I'm a smaller guy, so it was kind of a kind of a stature guy like like himself, smaller, really skilled, and I just grew up watching him and tried to model my game after him. 
We talked about the the minor hockey side, especially in Chestermere, but after that you got to go, I believe, play for the Rocky Mountain Raiders for your U15 hockey, um, if I'm not mistaken there, and then after that transition on to play U18. But what do you remember in that transition going to U15 AAA? Was it a big step for yourself? Do you remember lots about it, and, and what was that yeah. journey like? Yeah, that, that year we had a good team. We had, obviously, Peyton Krebs was on that team. He's playing in the NHL. We had another guy, Kyle Krinkovic, who was, who was a first-year player at the time, and he was he's probably one of the better Saskatoon Blades in history. So he's he's up there. He won, a, won, the, won the championship last year with Seattle. So he's he's another guy that was there with me. And, yeah, that, that team we had was special. We, we actually got to host Westerns that year for the Western Canadians. So it was it was it was a great year and it was a lot of fun and our coach was awesome and we ended up getting silver at the westerns when we hosted but we would have liked to get gold but it, but at the end of the day it was a success for our season and you talked about it there obviously you got to play with a lot of different very impressive players on the way and the two you mentioned obviously you guys were both or all three of you were very young at the time in that 14 to 15 age gap but what do you remember about those two in particular was there anything that stood out there whether it was their work ethics behind the scenes or anything that jumped out and helped you at that age yeah i think going into that season peyton krebs was the num going to be the number one pick in the draft and he he deserved it he he worked for everything he's gotten and he he's still he's still doing his thing and obviously he's in the NHL and it's a harder harder league but he was the best player growing up forever so it was it was nice to learn off him and and be with him for the two years actually I played with him in the U18s as well so just to be with him there and learn from him is it was a good experience and then obviously right out of that you get drafted by the Victoria Royals 2016 69th overall so leading into that did you have a lot of expectations going into your WHL draft day was there, you know, any thought of where you might want to play? Maybe, you know, any spots in particular? Or were you pretty open and, and excited when you got the news that you were going to be drafted by the Victoria Royals? You know what? It's actually funny. I had a couple teams that I thought I might have got drafted to, and I only talked to Victoria once, and I filled out a questionnaire for them, and I never heard back from them, so I wasn't even expecting Victoria at all. And then... When I got picked, I was I was really excited, and obviously Cam Hope was a GM at the time, and he gave me a call, and we talked to him for a bit, me and my family, and yeah, I was just I was just over the moon. I was actually in science class when I got drafted. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Um, so, what was your? Do you remember your first reaction? Like you mentioned, you're in science class. Were you with your buddies, or I know phones were maybe just starting to become a little more prominent back in 2016. But what was your overall first reaction when you you got the news in science class? Oh, when I first got to science class, I was looking at my phone because it was it was getting around the third, fourth rounder and third round, and I was I was excited to see all my friends and people I knew get drafted, and I was excited that maybe I would get drafted as well. So I remember going into science class having my in my phone in my hand, and my my science teacher got mad at me for <laughs> being on my phone. But I was just I just didn't care, and I was too excited to for the draft, and I was just I remember. I was actually answering a question and I, my cousin was on the right of me and she saw that I got drafted and she was like, Oh my God, you just got drafted. And I stopped and I looked down and saw my name to the Victoria Royals and I freaked out. I, <laughs> I just, I just blacked out kind of thing. And I uh, told my science teacher that I just got drafted for, and he let me go down and 
go talk to my dad because my dad was at the school. So I uh, actually, sorry, my dad wasn't at the school. I, I got out of class to call my dad and yeah, it was, it was a crazy experience. I kind of blacked out and then the school put it over the intercom because we had a couple guys that might've got drafted that day as well. So they were watching and yeah, it was a great day. It was awesome. Yeah, it definitely sounds like some good memories there. And you mentioned you get to go see your dad right after and out of the science class, you get to call him. So what was it like sharing that moment with your family? Was it just a surreal moment that you've all been working for for so long or just talk me through that was like just getting to share that with your father? Yeah, I think it was just like, for me, it was, I, I honestly had no idea that I was going to get drafted. I thought maybe I would. And then after I did, I just was filled with joy and I was just talking to my dad on the phone and we couldn't stop laughing and we couldn't stop being like, we were just so happy and it was, yeah, it was awesome. No, that's, that sounds awesome. So after that, you play your U15 year, you get to play one year of U18 before joining the Royals full time for, for the five years. So what was that one season of U18? Like, I believe you were with the Bisons at the time. Um, do you remember much from it? Obviously, I believe you would have been a 16-year-old at the time or maybe even 15. So what was that experience like in the transition going from U15 up to the U18 level? Yeah, the, U, the U18, the big change was obviously the three years of eligibility. So there was older players and yeah, it was, it was my first time being away from home. Like I, we had to billet for that team and we had to li like live with the billet family and be a little farther away from home. So it was, but we were still close and it. I think it was kind of like a, just a nice little uh, transition for me before heading to junior where I wasn't jumping with cold feet into being away from home 12 hours, I was actually just able to be away from home just 20 minutes down the road. And, right. and yeah, it was great. My bill brother was awesome. He was my best friend on that team. We, yeah, it was, it was great. We had three 15 year olds with me, Peyton Krebs and uh, Kate Augustine. So it was, we stuck together quite often. We went, we were in a lot of classes together, so it was, it was easy. So it was nice. That, yeah, definitely sounds like a good transition period for yourself. And then the big jump, obviously, getting to come over to Victoria and start your rookie season and a great career you had here in Victoria. So maybe the my next question leads into the biggest differences you saw between going from the jump from U15 to U18 versus the jump from U18 to the WHL. What were the biggest differences you saw between those two? I think it's just speed. It was the game moves a lot faster. You have to make decisions a lot quicker. So you didn't have time to think of what of a play you wanted to do. You had to, you had to be ready to make the play as you got the puck instead of get the puck and try and make a play. It was, I think that was the biggest thing. And obviously we had a really good team, my 16 year old year. So I got to learn off guys like Matthew Phillips, Noah Gregg or Tanner Kaspik, all those guys, they, they were really good to me and I learned a lot from them. Yeah, and obviously, like you mentioned, quite quite an impressive list of players you got to play with, especially in your rookie season. So looking back and just some of those guys you mentioned along the way, maybe the 18, 19-year-olds, what kind of lessons do they teach you as a 16-year-old in your first season and maybe some stuff that you got to take along with you today? I think it was just like Tanner Kaspik was a big one for me. Just like when he got traded to us, there was... Ooh, it was just like, oh, we just got Tanner Kaspik. Like, we, I didn't know anything about this guy. Obviously, I got to watch all, like, Matthew, like, Philly and Soise and all those guys. They're, 
they're pros already. And then when I saw Tanner come in and he was, he was always the first guy into the rink and he was always one of the last guys to leave. Like he was just, he was a pro playing junior and it was, it was very nice to see. And obviously I learned some things from other guys as well, but that was the big one for me. He was always taking care of his body. So it was, it was kind of like maintaining his body and he's, he's obviously the best and he's the most in shape guy on our team as well. So that helped as well. No, no, that definitely speaks a lot and, and something good to look up to as well. So, um, and you talked about it earlier in the season. I got you to create that video just talking about your favorite memory uh, when you were in Victoria. Uh, and I do believe you said it was a Game 7 victory in your 16-year-old year against the Giants at home. So to cap off a 16-year-old season with a Game 7 victory, and obviously it's been a while for, for the team now since they've got back to that pinnacle, but how much do you remember from that night and that series as a whole? Obviously, a uh, just a tremendous night for yourself doing it in front of the home fans. What do you remember from that evening? That, that series was, it was, it was so back and forth and they ended up taking the three, two lead going into Vancouver. They were at home for game six and we obviously won that, won that game in overtime from a pass from Philly to from Greg. So that was, that was good. And then we got game seven back at home and I just remember coming into the rink that day and there was no thought of us losing that game. Like we, we knew we were the better team and we, we were very excited and obviously we play Vancouver, what is it? 12 times a year. And then we had to play them seven, seven more times in the playoffs to get them out of the playoffs. But it was, yeah, that night was crazy. I just remember the fans being so loud after the game. And we, I remember coming into the room and we felt like we already, we won something, but obviously we didn't and we had to move on pretty quickly. And, Sucks that we we had some injuries in that Vancouver series. Obviously, Soisy went down, Caspic went down, which which didn't help our team very much, and uh, we ended up losing in the second round. But that just that night was was very special. I remember the fans being incredibly loud the whole time. And then, yeah, like you mentioned, just an incredible atmosphere. So moving forward, obviously into your seventeen year old season and beyond. After you had that big pinnacle and you got to play in that unbelievable team during your rookie season. What was the second year like for yourself? Obviously, you talk about the sophomore season and everything that entails that. The point production obviously continued to rise for yourself. But what do you remember in your second year making it the full season here in Victoria? What were maybe the learning curves that you went through along in that season? I, I just remember coming into camp. We didn't know how good our team was going to be. And then right from the get-go, we, we set the franchise record the year prior for for most wins in a row to start the season. And then that season we actually tied it. I, we might've beat it. I think we either tied it or beat it. So we were, so at, after that six or seven games or whatever it was, we, we knew we had a good team again. And obviously having Griff as our goalie, he's, he's something else. He's, he's a special goalie and he's obviously a legend in Victoria as well. So he, uh, he helped our team a lot and yeah, it was, for me, the learning curve that year was probably taking a bigger role. Like my 16 year old year, we had so many good players. And then all those, we had 10, 19 year olds and only three of them can stay. So we, so we, so I knew I had to take a bigger role in the season and obviously learning, learning from the guys the year prior, it was, it was easier for me to learn from them and take the step that the next year. But I think it was that year was a full year of learning how to, take a more of a bigger role and a leadership role. And the year after my 18 year old year was the year that I felt that I 
made myself a home in Victoria and I, I belonged on this team. Yeah, no, and that's that's a great point you mentioned there, just taking that bigger role. So for yourself, was there expectations? I, I know, like I mentioned earlier, like the point production was obviously continuing and you saw all those 19-year-olds moving out. But just in, in talking about taking that bigger role for yourself, what does that entail? Was there any leadership side that you were trying to, to build on as well? Or is it more so just yourself trying to build to that next level? Yeah, I was trying to build myself to be the best player I could be every day going to the rink and working my hardest. But obviously I knew as a 17 year old year, as a 17 year old, there's going to be 16 year olds that come into our team. And a guy like Ty Yoder was the only 16 year old on that team. And, and I knew I had to take him under my wing right away. Cause I was the only 16 year old the year, before, the year prior. So taking him under my wing and kind of showing him how, how it has to go and, and when he's tired, he can tell me I'm, I'm an open book. And when he needs anything, I'm there for him. So I think that just was the biggest change was I was looking up to guys and I was asking guys for help and being the guy that people can ask help from. I, I think that was the biggest change. Yeah, no, I, I can just imagine. And, and kind of just moving forward, you get your 18, 19, 20-year-old season. Of course, you were a part of the pod uh, in your final year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I'm going to get to that in a second. But just from your 18 and 19-year-old season, when that's why I think a lot of players really find themselves, like you mentioned, becoming their own, especially in this league, uh, finding out their playing styles and such. What was that like for you in, in terms of, how much more comfortable did you feel on the ice in your 18-year-old season just versus your 16-year-old season, maybe finding the space? And you mentioned the transition with the time and getting used to that, but how much more comfortable were you on the ice during that 18- and 19-year-old year? Yeah, the 18-year-old year was the year that I thought I took a big step. It was it was a good summer for me. I obviously got a little bit bigger because I'm a smaller guy. I had put on some weight, but yeah, no, when I, I got bigger and stronger and I was faster and I... I moved, I moved quicker than what I did the year prior. And like my 16 year old year, I was, I wasn't afraid to mess up. I just, you just have that in the back of your head where you don't want to mess up and you don't want to put your team in a bad spot. But if, when you think like that, that's when you do you put your team in a bad spot. So going into that 18 year old year, I was just confident and that I, I knew I could try and make plays. And obviously sometimes it, it breaks down, but as long as you work hard to get back on the defensive side of the puck, you, you're going to be in a good spot and you're, you're not going to hurt your team at all. So I think just the confidence was, was the big step and that's why the points went way up. No, that's totally fair. Um, and I just touched on a little bit there, the pod season. I'm sure everyone kind of wants to know what that was like for the player side. Ever, obviously everyone knows the pandemic's going on and there's a lot more, like there's important stuff going on, but for you guys, you're okay. still, you know, 18 and 19, 20 year olds just trying to play hockey. So what do you remember about the day that it shut the league shut down or perhaps just going into the pod and and understanding that you know it was things are going to look a lot different in terms of having people in the crowd and and just the whole atmosphere but just overall what do you remember about that that pod season for yourself yeah the pod no fans it was it was a little tough the the, the building was quiet you had to create all the energy from your team and you couldn't lean on the fans at all so it was was a little bit different obviously we had a really young team that was my 19 year old year and the younger guy i think we had more 16 year olds than 19 and 20s combined so it was that was a tough tough season it was obviously it was only 20 22 games or whatever it was but 
living in a hotel room by yourself is always tough, but it was, uh, we were just fortunate that we got to play and we just, we just got up with a smile on our face and obviously it didn't go the way we wanted it to, but at the end of the day, it was, we were just fortunate enough to play. And then, yeah, I just remember it was March 11th. We played in Kelowna when they were hosting the day it got shut down. We, we just beat them three, two. We had a six on three penalty kill at the end of the game. It was, and we ended up winning that game. And then, and then we got off, got off the ice. And I just remember Kate Oliver got on his phone and he saw that the NBA had shut down. And we were just like, all right, our season's probably over. Like, and then we had a long bus ride back to Victoria and we were just, we were gutted because we were in a good spot and we had a good team that year as well, my 18 year old year. So it was, it was tough that our season had to end, but we understood at the end of the day. Yeah, no, and I can just imagine, like you mentioned, especially during the pods spot as well, being in that transitional period and, and not really sure what's going to come next must have been definitely different. But what do you remember? Like, how much did you get to see the guys outside of the rink? I wasn't here during that time, but was it pretty locked quarters? Was everyone doing their own thing? Was it rink, hotel kind of thing? Or what can you say about maybe the experience you guys got to have while in the pod? Yeah, we had a we had a pretty good setup at the coast hotel in Kelowna. It was, it was own rooms. Like we all had our own room. We, uh, we couldn't go in each other's rooms, but we had a little, uh, players lounge in, the in the basement where we could go hang out and be together as a team. If we wanted to watch movies, play video games, we had a good setup and it was, it was nice that we had that, but yeah, it was shuttles rink, shuttles hotel bus to cam loops to play a game bus back to the hotel we didn't really get any outdoor time but when we did our our coaches and trainers were good enough for they'd find an empty park and they would shuttle us to the empty park and we could go play sewer ball and soccer and throw the football around for like 30 minutes and then get back on the shuttle and go back to the hotel so they they were really good at doing what they could but yeah, it was it was tough for sure. Yeah, I can I can just imagine. But uh, looking past that into the next season, your final year junior hockey, your twenty year old year, you got to wear the C for the Royals. Obviously, a tremendous honor and something that lots of people would love to have, just an opportunity to do throughout their lifetime. So, for yourself, what was that like? And and maybe just the, the as soon as you found out the first time, what was your initial reaction? And and just talk about what it meant to wear the C for this team. Yeah, obviously my billet brother the year before, year prior was uh, the captain Philip Schultz, so I got to learn from him. He was a great captain, and he he took he took our team under his wing, and he he helped our team a lot. And he was a really good captain, so I got to learn from him. And when I got the Zoom call from the whole Royal staff, I was I was pretty ecstatic. I'm pretty sure I shed a couple tears, but sure. but it, no, it was great. I. I just, I don't even really remember what was said on the call at all, but I, I just remember Philip being there. He was on the call and he was the one that got to tell me that I was going to be the captain. So that was, that was a special moment between the two of us. And yeah, it was, it was unbelievable to wear the captain for captaincy for the Royals. Like obviously we got guys like Joe Hicketts, we got Matthew Phillips, Philip, as I explained. And, those Ryan Gagnon is another one. He he was the captain my 15 year old year, the year that I was drafted. He, 
I still talk to, I talk to Gans sometimes, uh, when, uh, when uh, I see him in the summer. So it's, it's nice cause he lives in Calgary. So talk to him a couple of times here and there in the summer and talk to Philly here and there as well. So those guys were great captains, great leaders. And it was, it was pretty special for me to be able to wear the captaincy as well. No, that's, I can just imagine the special moment, especially having Philip getting to tell you that as well. So you mentioned there, obviously, someone that you got to learn from a long way, Philip Schultz. Um, basically, like you said, he kind of took the guys under his wing. So for yourself and your leadership style, did you kind of mold together a couple of the guys that you mentioned along the way to, to build your own path of leadership? Or was there anything in particular from certain people that helped you create your leadership style? Yeah, I think it was like, my 19 year old year I was the captain in the bubble. So it was, that was the first year I was captain. So I was, we had a couple of older guys like, uh, Brandon Cutler, Matthew Smith and Adam, even a goalie. He, they were, they were also great leaders on our team. So I didn't really have to do much. I just got to, we kind of let it as a pack. And then the year, the year, the next year after my 20 year old year, I had guys like Bailey Peach and, and Evan Patrician to help me as well. So, and guys like Gannon LaRock, who's, who was the captain, obviously before he made the American League this year. But yeah, he, uh, he was a great leader. He led the team off the ice. I, I tried to do what I could. I tried to lead by example as much as I could. And I was, very, I wasn't very vocal my first year and I was pretty vocal my, my last year. I, I wanted the best for our team and I wanted the best out of our group. So I, uh, I was pretty vocal that last season for sure. And speaking of vocal, I actually got word down the grapevine that, uh, you like to, to sing a decent amount during your time here in Victoria. I'm not going to tell you who told me that. Um, but I was just curious, is there any particular music that, uh, do you like to sing when you hear you in Victoria? And is that carried on into your pro career? I think I just, I, I don't know if I got a great voice. If I, <laughs> I just get into the music and I like to sing the songs that I that I know how to sing. So I, I mean, any music works as long as I know the song. I'll sing it and I'll I'll sing it the whole time until I'm fully dressed. So <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, and just kind of switching over to gears now. Obviously, great career here in Victoria, and and you got to end as a captain. But let's just talk about the transition for yourself into pro hockey. Got to play a couple games in the AHL and then in the majority of the ECHL last year, you put up some great numbers with Utah. So I've talked about it quite a bit about the transition between leagues, but for yourself, what was the biggest difference you saw in the jump from the WHL to the pro ranks? I think it's just the, uh, I wouldn't, obviously speed is another, I'm going to say this again, it's speed. The, yeah. the league is faster. The guys are way stronger. They're men. They're you're not playing a 16, 17, 18 year old. You're, you're playing a guy that's 23, 24 who's played forever. And he, you can't, you can't take it for granted. And yeah, it's, I think it's strength and speed is the biggest transition to pro for sure. The guys are bigger, the guys are stronger. And I'm, I was statistically, I'm pretty sure I'm statistically the smallest guy on our roster right now. So, so I mean, I, I'm not, I'm used to it, but, the guys are just even even more big and they're even more fast now that it, the the pros compared to the Western League. No, that's that's totally fair. And and what about just the overall feeling of, of getting the pro hockey style? Obviously playing uh in the WHL great experience as well, but just getting that next level of 
to say you get to say you're a pro hockey player and everything else that comes with that. So what was it like for yourself just getting to say that you're a pro hockey player? And I, I don't just mean telling people that, but, you know, for yourself, what did it mean to be, you know, to get to make that jump? You know what? It was a, it was a little bit of a learning curve because obviously in Victoria in the junior year, you're treated like a pro, but you do have your billets who cook you food and make you dinner and make sure you're, you're well kept and well hydrated. But when you're in, when you're in pros, you're, you're by yourself. You, you have to take, you have to grow up. You have to be an adult. And I think that was the biggest learning curve was I I'm on my own now. Yeah, I can, I can just imagine that's, that's definitely a big jump. So, um, and spending most of your last year in Utah, like I mentioned, 50 points and I believe 62 games there, very productive season. What do you, what was it like playing in Utah and obviously a new city for yourself to explore? Now you're in Belleville, but what was it like living in Utah and then that first full year? Yeah. So Salt Lake city was amazing. Uh, the group of guys we had there, the, the city, there was park city up the road, which is kind of similar to Banff. So it's kind of like back home. Salt Lake is kind of like home as well. It's, I, I felt like I was at home from the moment I went there, obviously, Brandon Cutler was there with me last year, so I I knew him. Yeah, I played with him for three years in Victoria, so it was it was a pretty easy, pretty easy transition for me. I felt like I fit in right away, and it was it was a great year, and we had a great team, and it was it just sucks we ended up losing in the first round against Idaho, but yeah, they were they were a good team, and but my first year was it was a huge success. I had a lot of fun and learned a lot of new things. And then as the season ended and you kind of looked forward to this upcoming year, was the thought always like, I know we talked about it right off the top of the show, just how great of the rookie camp you had there in Ottawa and you get the job with Belleville. But did you have a lot of thoughts on, on to way, maybe where the next step was going to be for yourself or was the Ottawa Belleville organization something that right from the get go you'd get your eyes on? No, I had, I had no idea where I was going to play this year, even going into camp. I, uh, Obviously, I got lucky enough to get invited to the development camp here in Ottawa and went here in July and did pretty good and was lucky enough to get an invite back for the rookie tournament. And I still had no idea. And then after the rookie tournament closed, I uh, I got invited to main camp and I, I kind of thought to myself, maybe I end up doing well enough that I can earn myself a contract here. And then by the end of main camp, I, I did earn myself a contract and... I'm still trying to make a name for myself here in Belleville, but uh, yeah, I, I had no idea where I was going to play at the even coming into camp at early September. No, that's that's totally fair. What about for yourself when you find when you did earn that contract after a very successful camp with Belleville? Who was the first person you called? Was it your parents back home or a friend? Maybe what was it like just getting to tell the news that that you signed the contract? Yeah, I got off the phone with my agent. I instantly did a dual FaceTime call with my uh, parents and nice. talked to them for a couple, for a couple minutes. I was actually on the golf course when my agent called me, but, <laughs> but I talked to my parents for a couple minutes and then I called them afterwards when I got back from the golf course and that was, it was a pretty exciting time. Yeah. I can just imagine a special moment for sure. Um, and kind of just as we wrap things up here, just more on the personal side, you mentioned golf, you're on the golf course when you got the call from your agent. So are you a big golfer in the summer? What other activities do you like to do in your free time? Yeah. Golf is, golf is pretty much the only thing I do in the summer. I, <laughs> I wake up, go to the gym, skate golf. 
and it, that's pretty much my whole summer. We got okay. a got a, I got a good ch- setup in Chestermere. I got a go- I got a membership at the golf course there in Chestermere. It's two minute drive from my house to the rink, and then a two minute drive to the golf course. So it's pretty pretty standard procedure for me to go to the rink and then go straight to the golf course and play no, play and then maybe go hang out with my friends for a bit. But yeah, usually my friends are on the golf course with me, so yeah, usually. Gotcha. All, all summer that's, that's fair what uh what's your handicap these days and i'm not i'm just putting you on the spot there but what do you play to uh i actually took a step in the wrong direction this summer i'm back up to about a, a seven five eight eight handicap okay. but i got low i got low enough to a six and then last summer i didn't play as much as i would like to but just travel and yeah. being with family and hanging out but this summer for sure i'll be I'll be golfing more. No, that's awesome. Do you have, uh, have you played a couple courses around the Calgary area? Or you just, like you mentioned, you're a member, you have a membership out there, but have there been any big courses on, on the bucket list? Maybe they're looking for as well. Yeah, no, I, my dad's a member at the Carmony golf club cool. in just in DeWinton there. And he, uh, he, he brings me out a couple times a summer and then we, Keanu Durung actually came to Calgary this summer and we went and golfed a nice course in Spring Bank. I don't, I can't recall which one it was, but we've been, a, I've been to a couple this summer. I golfed Mickelson National in the past. And so pretty much golfed all the nice courses in Calgary, but my main course is in Chestermere. Nice. Okay. Well, uh, Taryn, I really want to thank you so much for, for taking the time to chat with me today. And I uh, just wish you the best and continued success this the rest of the season. Thank you. Appreciate it. Have a good night. Thank you. Okay, James, we'll just start off talking about uh, the decision earlier on this summer. Of course, you joined in the player development role. So for yourself, just joining the Royals organization and making the big move to Victoria, talk about everything that entailed that for you. Well, um, it comes about with my relationship with Jake Heisinger. We worked together the last six years. Um, and uh, I think just uh, how it's grown over the, the years, the, um, the relationship between a coach and and uh general manager and assistant general manager uh, definitely uh, grew. I, you know, we looked at the three of us, Matt, Jake, and myself as uh, the three uh, uh, consistent parts of the organization that were, you know, saw it through the move from Cranbrook to Winnipeg, saw it from, you know, uh, the bottom of the league to, you know, we felt we developed into, you know, one of the top teams, uh, you know, over the last four years. And so um, when the team moved, uh, you know, I wasn't sure what direction I was going to go in. And I decided to take the year off um, for a number of different circumstances. And um, when when Jake was brought on in Victoria, you know, at that time talked to me if I want to s- still be involved and, and uh, see if there was a, a way of being part of the organization. Uh, talked about doing some consulting work, doing some development work, and and so that, you know, for me it, it was really working out with um, where I was leaving the uh, the Winnipeg franchise with the team being moved, and 
Um, I had some very mixed feelings about that, how it, how it came about. And, but, um, you know, when this, when this new opportunity arose, it was a way for me to still be involved in the game and, and see for me kind of where, if I can help out, if I could in any way be, you know, part of the franchise and on a positive side, uh, you know, that's the way I looked at it. And then just speaking of that opportunity, a couple months now in the player development role. So over that time frame for the last couple of months, what have you learned about the inside of the organization and just how things run and maybe how that helped you come into the decision uh, to take the role as a new head coach here? Yeah, I obviously, you know, getting to know Joey and, and uh, continuing my relationship with Jake, um, um, that just continued, you know, in the last three months. For me, more than anything, getting to know the players, uh, getting to know the team, you know, a bit of a feel for the organization, the city. Uh, you could also say the prospects, you know, through training camp. But, um, you know, more than anything, just getting to know or getting a, a real good feel for the team and, and watching them play, seeing seeing what the um, the Western Conference was like this year. Um, and, and, I mean, it changes every year, seeing what the other teams are. Obviously, with Wenatchee moving, it's, it's changed uh, – the number of teams out here um but uh that's that's probably been the biggest uh, thing over the last the last two months was just the, the the league and the team uh i didn't you know i didn't know what my total involvement was be, would be but i i did um certainly keep up with what's going on in the league and 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 i think i got a good feel for for the way the game is has been going and you talked about it a little bit, but just the growth that you saw from your time in Winnipeg or in Winnipeg and Kootenai, of course. But in terms of the growth that you saw from the beginning to the end in your time there and just your overall coaching style, how would you describe that to people maybe listening in and, and saw you playing hockey back in the day, but maybe haven't seen you coach when you're out in Winnipeg? If they saw me play, they're pretty old now. <laughs> I'll say that. But um, no doubt, um, I think every year you learn something, you grow as a coach, uh, um, some things you take for granted. Some things you you realize what what is most important, what matters the most. Um, I know I'm a, a a lot different coach now than I was um, my first year in, in Cranbrook. Uh, you know, it's seven years now. Um, certainly know the league way better. Um, you know, that's probably uh, the the biggest challenge for me, or the biggest area when I came to the league I didn't understand how important it is to know the differences um, the, the ages of your young players how important it is when you have 16 and 17 year olds on the league um, where they fit on your team the development of those young players um, you know I came from the NHL coached there for 13 years and and yes you have young players in the NHL that um, there's a lot of development ahead for them but for the most part at that level, you're playing your best players and you're, you're, you have your top six players, you have your goalie, you have your top two D. That's the core of your team. And, and yes, you have new players. Those are interchanging. You have a young superstar come in who has a great first year and then he's going to be in your top six, but it is so cut and dry. Then you get to junior and the, the difference between a 16 year old and a 20 year old is enormous in size and maturity and, you know, obviously strength and, and what they've seen, what they've experienced around the league. Um, and so I think, you know, that was the biggest thing. It took me three years to realize how important that is. And that goes such a long way to the development. Um, 
you it's it's easy for a coach to get down on a player who's 17 and you have no idea how good that player can be by the time he's 19 and uh so i think probably patience and and uh the belief the the confidence you have to instill in the young players and uh you know they have to earn their spot they have to earn their ice time but it has to be a two-way street and then, of course, one of those very successful years for yourself was the 2021-22 season. You won WHL Coach of the Year. So just taking a look at that, of course, that was your fifth year overall coaching with the franchise. Um, just speaking of how imperative is is it for the group in terms of buying into the messaging that you have and, and how difficult is that? Of course, we're talking about junior hockey players and you, you mentioned the 16 to 20-year-olds. So just maybe talk about that and, and getting the players to buy in. Um, it's... it's- it's so important. It's everything. Uh, I don't know if it's harder at this level um, than than other levels. I I think the players, you know, from my experience, they're they're younger. They have so much learning to do. They have so much growth to go in their game. Um, for ninety nine percent of them, have dreams of making it. You know, to the NHL, making it to pro, making it to. You know they want to make the most out of this experience, and they want the the best. And so, um, they, you know, I think they want to buy in. They want to be part of something special. Um, at times, I think as as a coach, it's you have to make them understand how hard it's going to be. You have to make them understand how there has to be sacrifice. Um, the, the team has to come first. Um, I think that's that's a real big part of culture. Is um, you know, the team comes first, uh, you know, respect of your teammates, um, you know, the, the coming to the rink every day to get better, competing, competing on a nice nightly basis. You know, all of that stuff is um, is real impart- important for the culture. And so when I look back at the the last um, the last four years, we spent a fair bit on culture coming out of the bubble, coming into the bubble, I should say. We spent more time on Zoom with our team, and because you know we couldn't be on the rink, and we, you know, we we did have some video sessions on systems, but we we spent more time working on culture and and building relationships and building a family, and I think it that set the groundwork for the next two years when we had real you know really good teams, and and you know I would put us right up there with with the best in the league, so. Um, all those things I, I guess I just talked about and what you've asked about um, are real important to getting players to to buy into what you know what you need to do to be a successful team to buy into what the coach is, is preaching um, to buy in for the team to come first. And you touched on this also a little bit earlier, but just the relationship that you built with uh, Jake Heisinger. Of course, Tanner McCall also came over from the Winnipeg Ice franchise, and now you've got to work with Joey for the last little while as well. So just talking about the cohesive group that you guys have and how important is it just to be all on the same page when trying to build this, this winning culture and franchise? Uh, it's everything. It's um, I think that when you're all on the same page and working for that same goal and you and you discuss what is most important – um, along the way um, and it, it just uh, it makes it so much easier there's no guesswork there's no wondering you know should I be doing this or should I be doing that and um, I've been real fortunate um, you know the last the last five years especially I've been real fortunate to coach some really good players really talented players and that's you know I 
I believe I got better as a coach, but I think I was a, a good coach because I had real good players as well. And, uh, you know, Jake and, and Matt Cockle were a huge part of that. I mean, they they drafted some some awesome players, some high-end high picks and some really good players in later picks. And, and so I got a chance to work with them and try and develop those players. Um, but also, you know, knowing the type of players that we are bringing up, uh, uh, the younger players when, you know, all throughout um, my time coaching there, when we drafted, um, um, you know, you drafted 15 year olds and some of the 15 year olds we had spent time with the team, you know, they'd come and practice with us, travel with us on the road. So they got to see, you know, how our players acted, interacted, prepared for games, worked out after games, what it was like to be, you know, part of our team. And, and then when they were 16, they got to come and play games and, uh, you know, you know, we every year we had four or five 16 year olds would would get at least one game. Some of them would get, you know, five or more games. And um, it was it's so important when you to develop culture, when it starts coming from your your 20 year olds and they're passing it down to the young players, it it just it's it seeps into everyone in their organization. So um, the relationship with with Jake and, and Matt um, and, and myself, it it encompassed all of that and it's again it's it's so important and and uh you know that's what uh, you know we would like to to continue and carry that over here and then just taking a look at the current group here in victoria of course if the team that you see right now on the ice and then the up-and-coming prospects are drafted over this past year what do you see as the strengths from from this team and then how do you continue to build on that well i i do think that you know they've had a good year they've they've played some really good hockey i think um, they're scratching the surface. I think there's some areas, you know, they can continue to grow and develop in their game. Um, so I, you know, I don't, I don't want to point out individual players. I think, I think some players have, have played really well. They've, they've had better years than they had in the, you know, the previous year. Um, I think when I look at the Western Conference, you know, I've, I've watched a fair bit of video now. I do think it's more wide open than it's been in the past. You know, you look at, uh, you know, preseason favorites, Portland and, and Prince George. Um, they're, they're very good teams, but I do think the gap between them and the other teams is, is shrunk. Um, Wenatchee's a real good team coming in, and who knows if they get their, their NHL players back. That would make them a lot better. But um, I just think that, from what I've seen and what I've seen with this Royals group, they, they can play with any team they've played so far. Now, you know, there are areas of the game that you have to get better at and, and clean up, and that, but that's the same for every team. You know, you, you get better as the year goes on and uh, you get your systems more down pad. And um, so I, I think uh, there's, some, there's some upside. Obviously, there's some real good young players that are going to be uh, um, getting bigger roles and, and – uh, there's some young players uh, that are going to be top end players in this league in the next in the coming years. Um, it's a long way, and there's a lot of work to go still. But uh, um, I think there's a, a lot of positives moving forward further with this further with this team. And then one more follow up question, uh, just to end things off here. You talk about culture quite a bit, and obviously it's it's so important with the team. So just building that culture over the next couple of years, how much goes into that behind the scenes? Is it just the team building side of things, or how do you build that culture that you want to see that you got to build there in Winnipeg? Talk about it every day. Um, you know, every uh, team meeting, every video session, 
every uh, at team meals, um, at uh, at team building activities, it's it's being reinforced, or there's been you know discussions about it. Um, uh, you know, I know um, it, it doesn't just come from me; it's a whole organization, and and other people are talking about it. And when you know when you get it down pat, then your older players pass it down to the younger players so it's um um you know i i know there's a lot of other people involved behind the scenes that really help with that and uh you know i i mean it's 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 two-edged it's it's how you compete and how you work on the ice and it's how you behave off the ice how you prepare off the ice how you treat how you treat people in the community how you treat your teammates um respect is a, is a real big a big part of it um, and so, so we're constantly kind of harping on those, those situations and, and there's always examples you see around the world, examples you see in other sports that you can learn from and, and we talk about it, but, but we know how, how we want to, how we want to be involved in the community, how we want to treat people and how we want to, uh, how we want to compete and how we want to play and how we want to practice. You know, when I, when I look at all those areas, it's just some we talk about all the time and, and uh, they pick it up real quick. And, and uh, it's really special when you see, uh, when it just happens automatically for, for players and, and you see it coming from, uh, from the older players. And I mean, it makes a coach proud and it makes his job a lot easier. Awesome, that's everything for me. Thanks so much. Okay, thanks.